All right, all right, all right, Mike Shit. Can y'all hear me? What's up, Jacobs Will? Hello, hello. That was not great. Hello, Jacobs Will. Good morning. There we go. That's much better. Much better, much better. My name is Jalen Baker. I currently serve as a pastor resident here, um, and I'm all currently on the elder track, so we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes, right? But currently, that is my role. I've served on staff here for the last two years now. Wow. I've been in New Jersey for the last five years. I'm, going, I'm just narrating my history in New Jersey now because I'm kind of wowed by it. Um, and I went to Princeton Seminary, as Yannan did, and I am grateful for the opportunity to, to, to come before you occasionally to preach the word of God. Before we get started, let's go to God in prayer, and let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of revelation. Thank you for the gift of biblical and spiritual truth. And Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and open our minds this morning so that we can receive what you have for us. God, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we can be open to being transformed by you so that we can become all that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So we are still in this series called Grammar of Faith. I got to say, our lead pastor, Scott Jones, has been in his bag these last few weeks, right? He has been preaching the word of God. So my job this morning is just to keep it steady. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to make sure make sure that we continue on in this series. And, and Scott has done a wonderful job of explaining to us that the goal of this series is to take Christian language words that we're all familiar with and to really point out in a very specific way, not only what they mean, but also how they are meant to help us live our lives as Christians on a daily basis. Basis. We talked about the scriptures. We talked about the Holy Trinity. Today, we're going to be talking about two words, one being the Imago Dei, it's a Latin phrase that basically is translated image of God, and the other being sin. That's the other word. And these are very two important words that are fundamental and foundational to our Christian faith. And our goal today is to begin the process of unpacking these words and really think through how are these words truly meant to help us live as children of God and as human beings? So as I was thinking about these two words this week, I asked myself the question, why are these words important, particularly for us today in the culture that we're living in currently in America? When I think about our culture, what we have done in the world, is that we have basically elevated the individual to the status of God, right? We have decided in our culture that the individual should have the right to be the ultimate decider of our fates, ultimate decider of what we ought to be doing with our lives. And it is up to me as an individual to define every facet of who I am, who I should be, and what I should be doing. The Christian story radically reimagines that line of thought. Because in the Christian story, there's only one God, and the role of human beings is not to be God, 
but it is to bear his image. It is to be image bearers of this God. And this morning, we're going to unpack what that means. Now, before we unpack what that means, I want to kind of go back. I want to look at this historically. So Brian Grosvenor just read for us Genesis 1, where Israel is documenting the story of how God creates the world and then how God creates humanity to bear his image. Now, this is interesting because in that biblical ancient Near Eastern context, right, there were other creation myths and creation stories that existed in the surrounding area. And usually these so-called gods in these other communities and contexts, when they created humanity, they basically created them as slaves. They basically created them to carry out the work of the God. They, they, were, they, they, they were served out. They were docile. There wasn't any kind of measure of, 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 of inherent dignity or worth. These God created people simply to rule them and to basically just, just call them slaves. Then you get the people of Israel. And the people of Israel tells the accounts and story of Yahweh of Elohim. And as they are documenting the way in which God creates, creates the world and then humanity, there is this radical idea that emerges from this God, Israel God. Israel God says that I'm going to create humanity and they are going to bear my image. I'm going to create humanity in such a way to where they're going to resemble me, right? They're going to be able to reason like I can. They're going to be able to logically come to conclusions like I can. They're going to be able to love and be in right relationship like I can. They're going to be able to make moral choices like I can. They're going to resemble me in many ways. And they're also going to represent me in the world. I created them to rule over the earth. I created them so that when they resemble me, they are ruling and dominating, and, and they, and they are, are taking care of the earth as I would, as I direct them, and as I guide them. It's a very radical take on the creation of humanity, particularly in this context. Israel's God decided to create humanity in such a way they would resemble him and represent him and not just be mere slaves. Now, because God creates humanity in this way, what this means for us is that humanity has inherent dignity, value that is embedded within their lives, right? Because God saw fit to create you, I want to make, make this as personal and as individual as I possibly can. God saw fit to create you. It was a part of his design that you be here. He decided that. He saw fit to create you in his image. You bear his image. You resemble God. You represent God in the world. 
That means you have dignity, value, purpose, destiny. Because you belong to God. You were created by God. I come from the black church. And the black church tradition takes the Imago Day extraordinarily seriously. Why is that? So when Africans were captured from their native land, stolen from their native land, brought to the Americas, enslaved against their will, what was interesting about it is that enslavers wanted Africans to believe that their inherent role was to be that of a slave. You were created to be inferior. You were created to be a slave. And they did this through introducing them to Christianity. The Bible says you're supposed to be a slave. And they, they, they tried to get creative with it. They, they even came up with something called a slavery Bible, where they would take passages out of the Bible, the Exodus narrative, where God set slaves free. Passes in Galatians. There's no, there's no Greek. There's no Jew. There's no slave. There's no, like they take these passages out so that slaves would not get any creative ideas about who they were. But what's interesting about it is enslaved people would read the Bible, this version of the Bible. And what the enslavers forgot to do was take out Genesis 1. They didn't take out Genesis 1. So enslaved people would read this Bible. And they had no notion of what Christianity is because they didn't practice Christianity in Africa, where they were from. And they would read about this God who created the world. And they get to Genesis 1.26, and it says that God creates humanity in his image. And they're like, huh, that's an interesting idea. So my enslavers are telling me that my inherent Role is to be a slave. But when I read this Bible, though, when I read the account of this God in creation, God is telling me through his word that I was created in his image. The most powerful being in the universe saw fit to create me in a way that I resemble him. And that enslaved people like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Y'all lying to us. This is a lie. And you get no sense of abolition now. No sense of white folks and black folks saying, yo, something's going to arrive here. This is not true. See, the power of the Imago Day is this, church, is that God sets you free from the world's definition of you. God sets you free from other people's perception of you. Right? This gets to what Scott has been leading us through, orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthopraxy. What is, the actual, what is the actual truth here? What is the actual doctrine here? The actual doctrine is this. Since I was created by God, I'm valuable. I'm worthy. I'm enough. Because God said so. Right? So when my family calls me things and tells me things about myself, that makes me feel inferior. When, 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 when I put pressure on myself to measure up to some standard that I've created, right doctrine, right believing says what? No. You 
measure up because God said so. And there should be no other measuring stick for your value, for your identity, for, for your dignity, other than the Imago Day. It starts there. And, 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 and I love this because in our lives, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And it might come from our family of origin. It might come from our, our, our need to be accepted and approved by our friends, by our coworkers, by the world. And when we do this, we are falsely trying to construct an identity that will make us worthy. And God is saying, you don't have to construct that identity. I've already given it to you. You're already worthy. So therefore, when you feel this pressure to be enough, when you feel this pressure to be perfect, when you feel this external pressure to prove that you are worthy, go back to doctor. You're already worthy. You're already enough. And see, when I have this, now I know how to feel. Since I'm already enough, I don't have to let the definitions of the world, of my environment, of my community impact how I feel about myself. Because the feeling that I have for myself has to stem from right doctrine, which is the Imago Dei here. And when I have that right doctrine, when I have that right feeling, now I can walk authentically in the divine calling God has for my life. I can walk freely in the calling that God has created me to walk in. Because my value is not determined by the world, by my family, by myself, my value is determined by God and God alone. So when we feel this need to be in control, right, we feel this need to say, okay, I got to take matters into my own hands. I have to prove that I am enough, right? We feel this need to judge ourselves. Right? When our marriages might be going through a rough spot. We feel this need to judge ourselves when, as parents, our children are throwing these tantrums and we feel terrible on the inside. We feel this need to judge ourselves because at work, we've been going through a rough patch. I feel like I'm not measuring up. We feel this need to judge ourselves because at school, I can't figure out how to balance my life and my work and, and my social life. We feel this need to judge ourselves because we feel like we're not doing the right thing. God steps in and says, look, you're trying to prove something that you do not have to prove. I created you to resemble me and to represent me. So even when your kids are acting all, oh, oh, uh, I almost said something. Even when your kids are acting out, resemble me and loving them through it. Even when you're going through things in your marriage, resemble me 
and dying to your selfish desires, both of you, so that you can meet me and my truth in the middle. When you're going through things at work, at school, I'm not getting the grades I want to get. I didn't get into the cause I wanted to get into. No, resemble me in going out, doing the best that you can, and let me decide ultimately where you are going to end up going. I've created a destiny for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a design for your life. Now, God, let me guide you. Let me help you navigate your life so that you can end up where, you wanna, where, where you're supposed to be, ultimately. You are not God. You're his image bearer. You don't get to decide. It was not, you, you literally were not created to decide. You literally were not created to be God. But you were created to be his image bearer. You were created to be obedient, to listen, to devote yourself to the one who knows what's best for you. You were created to allow God to work in your life, to move in your life. It ain't going to be perfect. It's going to be hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that God isn't good. It doesn't mean that God cannot still create good in your life. But it's going to be his good, not your good. This is what it means to be an image bearer. This is what it means to live into the fullness of our identity as God's children. Now. What's interesting about this is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that has, in many ways, distorted this image by what Christians would call sin. Now, just because this image has been distorted doesn't mean it's been destroyed. Just because it's been distorted doesn't mean it's been destroyed. We're going to talk about this right now, actually. So when the fall of humanity happened, Adam and Eve sin, right? Sin comes in, distorts that image, but the image of God was still in all of humanity. It never left. So even sin does not have the power to break you. It does not have the power to break your marriage. It does not have the power to break your relationships. It does not have the power to break any aspect of your life. But it can distort it. It can distort it. And as Christians, because it has that power to distort, we then need to understand the way in which it can distort so that we can fight back. So that we can fight back. Now, let's look at a bad example of fighting back with Adam and Eve. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, you know, this, this is a powerful text. It's a rich text because, man, it, it just gets to the heart of who we are. Lord have mercy. Help me, help me, Holy Ghost. All right, so look, look, look at this, right? Ch chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Oh, that serpent. 
He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let me stop right there. Did God actually say? That phrase is at the heart. I'm going to speak for you this morning. It's at the heart of why we all sin. Did God actually say? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, what I'm about to get ready to do, right? It don't really say word for word in the Bible that I can't do it. So technically, God didn't say that I can't do what I'm about to get ready to do. So I'm good, right? It's <laughs> when I <laughs> watch yourself die. <laughs> Did God actually say? We rationalize our sin all the time. We do it. We trifling. I'm going to just say it. We are trifling people. Right? Sometimes, you know what we'll do? We'll come up with something like, that's a holy sin. Because at least I ain't killed nobody. At least I didn't start a war. What? Are you serious? No. Sin is sin. Right? Sin of any sort has the power to separate you from God. And that separation from God leads us astray. Right? And this gets into a little bit of definition of sin, right? Traditional definition of sin is what? The missing of the mark. Going astray. Breaking the law of God. All that is true. We're going, to, we're going to get into it a little bit deeper. But I, I want to pause here with our dear sister Eve because we are Eve. The devil enters into our line of thought every single day, church. A daily battle where the devil is saying to you, did God actually say you had to love your husband like that? Did God actually say you got to love your kids even when they get on your nerves like that? I just can't drop them off with my parents and get a break? Did God actually say that I got to love my friend even when she or he get on my nerves? I'm sick of them. I don't want to be around them no more. I'm about to ghost them. Where you been, bro? Oh, shoot. I, I've been busy. God did not say I had to spend time with you every day. Woo, you trifling. Trifling, man. This is what we do. We come up with excuses not to obey God. That's the sinful nature that Paul talks about. I know what's right, but I do the wrong anyway. Right? And I'm not telling you this, church, to shame you. I'm telling you this to convict you. Because here's the thing. As I'm talking up here, I'm doing this. You'd be like, ooh, sin. It make you, it just make you like, oh, God. You know what that is? That is God quite literally transforming you. That is the potter literally shaping and molding you, transforming you into who he wants you to be. So don't, 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 don't escape. Oh, Lord, sin. Don't escape that. Allow that 
to, to, to truly set in so that you can die to some evil stuff in your life so that you can be the husband you're supposed to be, the wife you're supposed to be, the friend you're supposed to be, the student you're supposed to be, the worker you're supposed to be. God wants you to live. And living a sinful life ain't the way to go. Ain't the way to go. Woo, Lord, Eve, God bless you. You got to actually say. And, you know, Eve said, verse 2, we're in verse 2 now. And the woman said to the serpent, well, you know, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I like this too. Because, see, there are times in our lives, even when we know what God has said, we'll say it out loud, but, see, there are times when we really have to check ourselves and ask ourselves the question, do I really believe this? Do I really believe what God is saying to me? Because as we keep reading, and we're going to keep reading, I promise, the devil is questioning God's goodness, God's grace, and God's truth. That's what he's after. If I can get them to question if God is actually good, got him, coach. Got him, coach. We got him. Right? So the devil is like, you can quote the Bible all you want to, but do you believe it? See, see that I'm after that. You can quote the Bible all day long. You can, I know the Bible. But do you actually believe what that book says? Do you actually believe what God is saying? Right? And that's where he gets Eve. He says, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil tries to trick us every single day by saying, if I can get them to believe, that they are God and that God is not, then I got them. If I can get them to buy into the notion that they are just as good as God, they are just as wise as God, they're just as powerful as God, if I can get them to believe that their status is that of a God, then I got them. And, the, and this gets to the root of all sin, being this church. The root of all sin is us choosing to believe that we know better than God. That's the root of it. Us believing that we know better than God. That God is lying to us and not telling us the truth, so therefore we have to take matters into our own hands. That's sin, right? The root of it is when we elevate ourselves into, into a position where we're not supposed to be. I belong here, not God. And the devil, unfortunately, convinces Eve of this, right? In verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit 
and ate, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam is a sorry joker. This joker sorry. I mean, just sorry. You've been in the whole, you, he was there the whole time. You just standing there? Why is she talking to a snake? Bro, that's a snake talking. And you just, oh, I don't know what he, what? Sorry. You can't get sorrier than that. I was like, what? Eve was left on an island talking to a snake. It's like, bro, what are you doing? Sorry, Eve. Your boy left you. And not only did he leave you, he was like, that apple do look good. I ain't going to say it for a lie. And he was like, I mean, they were tricked. They were tricked. And see, sin works in that way. It is designed to trick you into believing that you know better than God. When we think of the world and the brokenness of our world, the fundamentally, what is it? It is human beings trying to play God. Human beings trying to decide what is best for all other human beings. We weren't created to do that. That's not how we were built. St. Augustine, fancy people call him Augustine, but I'm from Southern, I ain't Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine, I call him Augie, actually. I don't even call him Augustine, I call him Augie. St. Augie <laughs> wrote this text years ago called The City of God. And in this text, he makes a really interesting claim. He says that peace is the fundamental desire for all human beings. And he makes the connection here. He says, even in war, both sides are fighting the war ultimately to achieve peace. But he calls it their version of peace. He calls it temporal peace. And that kind of peace can be achieved, but it's not true peace. It's not what he calls godly peace. Humanity lives to work for temporal virtues, temporal goods, fleshly, carnal goods, trying to appease ourselves, trying to appease our nature. But what we fail to realize is that we don't know what's good for ourselves. We don't know because we weren't created to know. We weren't created to know. And even Adam tried to take matters into their own hands. And when they did, sin enters into the world. So I want to give you a couple of definitions of sin real quick. Just to give, just to give you something. Let's go to that next. Oh, actually, ooh, Lord. Watch this. I'm, I'm going to show you all what, what, what I did. Go to those slides, Brian. So I was supposed to say this quote earlier, but I forgot. This is why I don't do slides. So MLK had a good quote. I was supposed to say this quote, too. Dang, that's crazy. So let's go here. This is why I don't do slides, guys. This is, when I get started, y'all know how I get. Dang, that's wild. I totally forgot about both of them joints. All right. Look at, this, look, 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 look at this definition. This is good. I may go back to Shalom in a minute. So sin is not only, according to Cornelius Platanga here, sin is not only the breaking of the law, but also the breaking of covenant with one Savior and Creator. Sin is the smearing of a relationship it is the grieving of a divine parent and the betrayal of a child. Sin is relational. It's a relational thing. 
right? Sin is not simply the breaking of a law, doing the wrong thing, I messed up. Nah, bigger than that. It's the smearing of a relationship. It's getting in the way of you truly and authentically being one with your Savior and your God. Again, that's life. Speaking of life, Brian, let's go back up to Shalom, please. So, let me tell you the design of this slide, actually, before I get into it. I was supposed to mention it five minutes ago. Um, so, before diving into sin, this is what I was supposed to say five minutes ago, I wanted to get into what God actually designed. And it's this thing called Shalom. And what is Shalom? So we call it peace, but it means more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. It is a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creation in whom he doesn't that sound lovely? It sounds so lovely. Sin is the way in which this went wrong. This was, what, this, this was how things were supposed to be. And when sin enters into the picture, it disrupts shalom. It disrupts it. And so here's the thing. This, 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 this is why I wanted want to go back to this, right? When God constructs boundaries and limits for our behavior, right, when he gives us a blueprint of how to live, it's not meant for us to be like, oh, God, he's so authoritative. God is so no fun. Actually, God wants you to live. He wants, you to, he wants to, get, to get you back to shalom. He wants you to flourish. But see, he defines what life is. Because see, God is saying, I understand that you say you want to live, but the life you're living is going to lead to death. Ways of sin of death, right? But man, I want you to live. And I mean really live. I want you to live an abundant life. I want you to have shalom. Like peace. Real peace. Godly peace. Everlasting peace. That surpasses all understanding. I want you to have shalom. All right, Brian, let's go. To, let's, let's, let's keep going. I said this one. Good job, Jalen. Let's go. Right here, stop right here. Stop right here. Good job. Lord have mercy. Y'all pray for me in these slides. Um, this is very important, too. Sin also does what? It distorts our character, a central feature of our very humanity. Sin corrupts powerful human capacity. This is very important here. Check this out. It corrupts our thoughts, our emotions, our speech, our acts, so they become centers of attack on others while also leading to the malnourishment of our very soul. Thoughts, emotions, speech. Y'all know this. Don't you hate when you just walk in it? Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. Yikes. I said that? Ooh, Lord have mercy. My God. I did that? That's what I did. Like, you know, you didn't do it, but that's what I did. 
it corrupts. It corrupts, right? And th- this is what, see, when we let sin have the final word, marriages can fall apart. Friendships can fall apart. Relationships with our children can fall apart. When we let sin, because this stuff is going to happen. We live in a sinful world that has already been corrupted. So broken things will happen, but sin does not have the final word in the Christian story. We have the power to overcome sin because we have a Savior. A Savior who died for our sins, who died to our sins on the cross, who overcame that sin when he got up and resurrected in three days. And the power that rose him from the grave that allowed him to overcome that sin on the cross now lives within you and I. So sin does not have the final word, but we have to be aware of how sin distorts our character. It does distort your character. And because it distorts your character, it will lead to conflict. It will lead to trouble. It will lead to chaos. I wish I could sit up here and tell you that it won't. I wish I was a prosperity gospel preacher and be like, your life is going to be good. Ugh, it ain't. It's not. I wish I could with with full integrity tell you that sin will not impact you. It's going to impact you, family. It is. Broken things will happen to you. Ugh, I just want to say I'm sorry. I hate that for you. I truly do. But the good news is, those broken things don't get the final word. They don't get the final word in your life. And don't let it get it in your life. Just because you've sinned, just because you've messed up, that is not the end of your story. That is not the conclusion to your story. God gives you a new story. And that new story is grace mercy, forgiveness, salvation, and redemption. It does not get to end your story. All right, so this is a very personal view of sin, which is what we need to have. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go to a different, different place now and, and branch it out a little bit. Let's go to that next quote, Brian. Yes, this is actually the next quote I'm going to tell. Okay, good. So look at this, y'all. This is Dennis Edwards. Check this out. He says that we've been taught that sin's enslavement was evident only in our shortcomings and our failure to measure up to a holy standard because we keep missing the mark. That's true. But sin is more than this. It goes beyond our personal failures and shortcomings. Sin is an all-encompassing, cosmos-permeating, creation-destroying force animated by Satan. Let me stop right here. Check this out. So when Satan is tempting Eve in the garden, right, Satan has bigger plans than Eve. He ain't just trying to get Eve to slip up. Nah. Honestly, you know what Satan probably said? I can get her to slip up anytime. I can do that easily. But see, here's the thing. Since y'all the first people, I know that when I get y'all to slip up, that's going to spiral into a sinful world that I will love. Right? We cannot underestimate Satan. Don't underestimate that devil. He's powerful. He's not more powerful than God, but he is powerful. He is capable of tricking you. He is capable of lying to you and you believing it. If you are not 
armed with the word of God. Because here's the thing about Eve. Eve says, God said we can't eat from this tree. But you know what she forgot to say to Satan? So you know what, Satan? As much as I probably would like to be God, God told me that I'm his image bearer and not him. That's what she forgot to say, right? If she would have said to Satan, as much as I know that you're trying to trick me into being God, I know what God has, has said, and I believe what God has said. God told me that I'm his image bearer and not God, right? That's the power of God's word. When we know the truth and embody it and apply it to the, to the, to the, to the schemes of the enemy, right? Satan was after a sinful world, as Edward said, that is all-encompassing, cosmos-permeating, creation-destroying. That's what he was after. But he didn't get the final word. Sin is the evil that infiltrates the entire world. Sin energizes oppressive structures like fascism, racism, patriarchy, because sin in all its evil ways enslaves humanity. Behind all of these oppressive structures are sinful human beings that animate these things. Which is why humanity needs a savior, a savior that can set them free. Doesn't get the final word. Even in this macro level context, sin is both personal and corporate. It's micro and macro. It impacts our lives in so many ways, which is why we need a savior. A savior who can set us free. All right, so that was intense. So to, to break the tensity of the room, I want to I show y'all a picture. Brian, do you have that picture? Let's see if we have this picture. So this is, Dennis Edwards wrote this, right? Check this out. Let's see if we have it. This is Dennis Edwards who wrote this. And that's Dennis Edwards right there. Rachel and I took a picture with him at a, at a conference we went to last year. And we was like, yo, bro, we be quoting you in the church. He was like, word, word. So hey, let's, let's get a picture. Let's get a picture. And we got a picture. He posted this on his Instagram. He posted this on his Instagram. So there, there you go. There you go. Look at that. We, 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 we meet people who we quote in church. That's, that, that, that's, that's what we're all about here. That's what we're all about here. There we go. All right. Back to sin. Back to sin, right? <laughs> um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the end here. What I want to close with, church, is this. Um, so Eve was sort of the bad example of how we're supposed to deal with Satan. Adam is just terrible. Adam is just out there. Who even, who knows? You know, I would like to be a fly on the wall or in the forest. What is that joker doing? I, like, I, you know, I just don't know. It's like, bro, are you just sitting there? Sorry, I have big opinions about that. Anyways, Luke chapter 4 tells a story of when Jesus was tempted by Satan too in the wilderness. Y'all remember this? So Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan is like, uh-oh, if I get this joker here, I'm about to win. I got the first. Let me get him now. So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to go there real quick. I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you, Brian, my fault. I ain't going to hold you to it, but I'm going to just read it, man. Because uh, my bad, bro, I didn't tell you before. So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to just read it real quick. So Jesus is in the wilderness. So this is what Satan says. Luke 4, I'm, I'm in verse 1. He says, um, he ain't nothing for, let me see. The, the devil said to, to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give you give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then worship me right now, it will be yours. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is said, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he walked away. He walked away. I love Jesus so much. Jesus said, Eve, don't just quote one verse. Keep quoting it to that joker. Because at some point, when you keep telling him the truth, he walks away. He walks away. So in your daily lives, church, when that joker is trying to get you to sin, did God actually say, tell him what God said? Like our Savior did here. Let me tell you what he actually says. He will be with me and never forsake me. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Quote the Bible to that joker. This is a, the reason why I'm so passionate, this is a battle, guys. This is a war that we have to wage every single day. And when you tell him the truth, he walks away. Sad, pathetic snake. He walks away. Listen, church, I cannot emphasize this enough. The devil is not more powerful than you with God. When you are with God, he's no match. But see, when you're without God, he will overtake you. Hear me, hear me. I'm calling you weak. I'm calling you frail. I'm calling you not strong enough on your own to defeat the devil. He will trick you with his lies. He will do it. But with God, he walks away. He walks away because he knows he's no match. And this is the example. Jesus knew what he did to Eve. He said, you got my daughter. Uh Uh-oh. Come on, Joker. Come here. Give me everything you got. And he did. He offered Jesus. Woo, I'll be like, Lord Jesus. That sounds really enticing. But when that word of God comes in, does it sound enticing? Or is he lying to you? Is he tricking you? Are there conditions attached to all of these promises he's making to you? Will it lead you to true life? Or will it lead you to death? the gospel, there's the truth. So church, I tell you this because even though sin has the power to do so many broken things in our lives, it does not have the final word. God has the final word. And when we quote God, and this this, this is why this is important, right? So this is why Knowing the word of God, knowing the Bible is important. It ain't so you can go around being like, oh, I know my Bible. I can quote it. So blah, 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 blah. I'm so holier than now. Nah, fam. That's shallow. 
pathetic, honestly. It's like you need to know your Bible so that you can have the words you need for when the enemy attacks you. You need words. You need grammar. You need words. And you need to know how these words operate in your life so that when he comes for you, he walks away. I love that image. He walked away because of the power of the word of God. Remember, church, you are the Imago Dei. You were created in the image of God. As, as the worship team comes back up, you were created in the image of God, so therefore, that is the end all be all of your value, of your dignity, and your identity. And even when sin enters into your story and tries to distort it, tries to disrupt that Imago Dei, remember, it can be distorted but it can't be destroyed. It will not be destroyed. The Imago Dei is still in you all the time. And God calls you to live into that image fully that he created you in so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Dearly, Father, thank you so much just for um, the gift of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the revelation of your word. God, I pray this morning that we can leave this place encouraged. And God, I pray that we also can leave this place ready for battle. Armed for the fight. So that when the enemy tries to trick us and deceive us every single day, we know the truth which is fundamentally wrapped in your word. And we know that if we have your word, we have all the power and the authority to overcome the sin in our lives. God, we cannot, we cannot underestimate, we cannot say enough how much we need you. We need you so much, Father. And we're thankful that you're available to us. Your word is available. Your love is available. You are utterly available to us at all times of the day. You are with us, Father. And because of that reality, we know that we can live and that we can win the battles that are ways of the enemy. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen.